1962, many events happened that changed the future of the United States, some of which included the formation of the first Navy SEALs. Marvel Comics introduced the Hulk and the Amazing Spider-Man. The Beach Boys changed music by releasing Surfing. John Glenn was the first American to orbit Earth. The Cuban Missile Crisis happened, and Jackie Robinson was the first African American to be elected to the National Baseball Hall of Fame. However, this is also the year when ground was broken for the building that would ultimately become the Professional Football Hall of Fame. Welcome to the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. Your host is Arnie Chapman. Football is his passion, and he wants you to come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board his DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. This time as we step off our DeLorean, the date is December 6, 1959, and we are in Canton, Ohio. But I'm calling an audible from the last episode, because I told you we're going to talk about four of this year's Hall of Fame inductees. However, I changed my mind, and there's a good reason for that, because I thought about it. I'm going to give you a surprise, starting on Saturday. But for now, we're 10 days away from the 2018 Hall of Fame enshrinement ceremony. But we didn't talk about the Hall of Fame yet. I mean, we've covered many players, but we haven't actually gone through the history of the Hall of Fame, which is why we've come to December 6, 1959. This will go down as one of those very important yet kind of forgotten dates in the history of the NFL. This was the day that got the ball rolling for what would become the Professional Football Hall of Fame. And you ask yourselves, how did this happen? You see, the local newspaper for Canton, Ohio, back in 1959, called the Canton Repository, called for city officials to try, you know, to have a bid to get the Hall of Fame for professional football in Canton. And the headline that was in the paper went as such, Pro Football Needs a Hall of Fame, and Logical Sight is Here. I mean, we've talked about many of the reasons why it's logical. Um... Ralph Hay in his auto dealership and all the founders of the NFL, you know, created the league in Canton, Ohio. The Canton Bulldogs were basically the powerhouse team back in the 20s. And of course, yeah, Jim Thorpe, uh, we've heard of this guy, the legend. Yeah, uh, he made his hay in the NFL originally in Canton, Ohio. So let's go ahead and say there was a logical reason. And Canton leaders took this and they said, yeah, we're on board. A-chaka-chaka-choo-choo, let's get this thing a-rollin'. So on January 25th of 1961, which was about two years after this was uh, put in the local newspaper, William E. Umstadt of Timken Company was selected as the representative of the city to make the bid to the NFL. He must have went to Teddy Roosevelt's, uh, you know, school of giving a speech to persuade somebody. Uh, His famous citizen in a republic speech is one of the most famous in American history where he, you know, famously delivered a 90-minute speech soon after he was shot by an innkeeper back in 1912. And all he said was, it takes more than that to kill a bull moose. And three months after William took the plans for Canton, Ohio, to make that bid for having the Hall of Fame in their city, they were granted acceptance to build it by the National Football League. And it would take a citywide effort to get this thing done. The city would donate the land, and civic funding would acquire pledges totaling $378,026 by February 8th of 1962. 
so they had the money and they had the land. Ground would be broken on August 11th, 1962. But we're going to go ahead and cheat, and we're going to hop back on my DeLorean. We're going to zip it on into the future, about a year and a half. And the date is going to be September 7th, 1963. This is the first day that the Professional Football Hall of Fame would be open to the public. And this is the day of the inaugural Professional Football Hall of Fame class. There were 17 members of this first class, and seven of them we have covered in the episode so far. If you haven't picked up on that theme, that's kind of where I was going with things. A lot of the players that we've covered throughout this journey of ours have been from the first class of the Professional Football Hall of Fame, because why not start there? It makes a lot of sense. I mean, we've already talked about Joe Carr, Red Grange, George Hallis, Pete Henry, Don Hudson, Brock Onagurski, and Jim Thorpe. But rest assured, we will be talking about the remaining 10 in some upcoming episodes prior to the end of this year. And just so we can round out this inaugural class to give you an idea, the other 10 are Sammy Baugh, Burt Bell, Earl Dutch Clark, Mel Hine, Robert Cal Hubbard, Earl Carly Lambeau, Tim Mara, George Preston Marshall, John Blood McNally, and Ernie Nevers. And I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail about that particular day, because this is just kind of an overview of the history of the Hall of Fame. But, I mean, 17 players was great. It's really hard to, you know, cram in 43 years of professional football, or at least, you know, since the NFL was founded, into one inaugural class. So they did their best. But then, of course, each year following that, there were going to be some new players that were going to be inducted to the Professional Football Hall of Fame. Which brings up a natural question. Well, how does one become eligible for the Professional Football Hall of Fame? What is the selection process? Well, I'm glad you asked, Johnny, because here's a question. Here's the answer, you know. You know, find that little thing over there in the back of the corner and sit down. Because I'm about to tell you. So, from the Professional Football Hall of Fame site, the eligibility goes as such. Any fan may nominate any player, coach, or contributor who has been connected with pro football simply by writing to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The only restriction is that a player and coach must have been retired at least five years before he can be considered. There is no mandatory retirement period for a contributor before he may be considered. Every nomination of an eligible candidate received will be processed and forwarded to the Hall of Fame Selection Committee. End quote. Now, I thought it was pretty cool when they said that any fan can nominate a player. So, I mean, if it's been five years and you have a player that you feel has been snubbed from the Professional Football Hall of Fame, by all means, send it in. Send in the letter. Doesn't mean they're going to automatically get put on there, but you have a vote. You have a voice. And the nomination process is just, you know, just like the very beginning. Then there's a selection committee that actually chooses and kind of, you know, whittles down from a plethora of players that have been nominated into a selection of a few that will ultimately become inductees and trainees to the Hall of Fame class. And now it's time for us to kind of like nerd out a little bit and get into the nitty gritty of how they select the players to become the professional football. So kind of hang with me here. There is a 48-person selection committee. There is a media representative for each region a team is in. And then if there's multiple teams in a region like New York or something, then there's going to be one for each team. So basically, I say it's just a media representative for each team. And then they have 16 what they call, I'm using air quotes here, 
at large, you know, kind of like ESPN or Associated Press. And one of them has to be from the Pro Football Writers Association and two members from the Hall of Fame. I'll leave a link in the show notes with all the respective names and such. So if you wanted to, you know, for your favorite team, you can reach out to that individual and say, hey, thank you for taking time out of your day to, you know, whittle through and painstakingly try to figure out who should become this year's class. It can't be an easy task, you know, get all these great, magnificent players that, you know, slide through my desk and I got to try to check box off and get rid of them. It's like, uh, I don't know, what's that show? The Survivor Show and you got 17 All-Stars and you're like, well, I'm not sure which one's going to make it on the team, but you can't all make it. So good luck. Hope you know how to catch fish and that kind of thing. But getting back, they're going to be for each class. There's modern era nominations and then Senior and contributors are you know kind of separate. Modern era are you know like what it seems like more recent. Senior would be twenty five and over for years, and then contributors would be like not players or coaches. It'd be uh, a good one's Ed Sable, you know, NFL films that kind of thing. So let's break down the modern era nomination kind of process first. Each year, the selection committee gets polled three different times before they have the final list of preliminary nominees. The initial preliminary list is going to be sent to the committee by March 1st. Now, we're going to figure out near the end here, but when I'm saying March 1st, I'm talking about, so like, this upcoming class for 2018. The process would have started back in 2017 of March 1st, not this previous March 1st. So, it gives them a lot of time to, you know, do their grades and research and such, which is the reason why they sent it so early. Just for the sake of it, I'm going to pretend I'm a member of a selection committee right now. I've just received, by March 1st, the initial list, which comes from nominations from fans, um, say last year after the selection happened, and someone got more than four votes, they automatically go on this list, and other various reasons. So I get this list, and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to peruse it, I'm going to do my research. I already know most of these players, if not all of them, of course, because I've been covering the game. But some of them I don't quite know as much, so I gotta kind of figure it out. But I'm like, hey, dang, man, this guy right here that I have on my personal list is not there. So they allow the selection committee members to kind of, I guess you could say, nominate their own players that they feel like have not been put on the list. So then after this is done, the second preliminary list is sent to them in July and includes all the previous nominations and any new ones that have been sent in since March 1st. And they give them, uh, you know, a quick little couple months to check out everything. And then a third preliminary list is sent in September. And mind you, like I said, the 2018 class here in 10 days, this is September of last year. So they have all the selection committee members are given this third preliminary list in September for the modern era with the purpose to kind of dwindle this list down to 25 modern era candidates. So after this list of 25 is compiled, it is sent to the committee again in November to basically dwindle it down to 15 modern era candidates. And there will be 18 that are going to go into what they call Selection Saturday. The 16th, 17th, and 18th nominees come from the senior and contributor nominees. Let's peel this back a little bit. You have a contributors and seniors. And the contributors are kind of like, you know, they weren't players, they weren't coaches, they were possibly general managers, or they were other contributors to the game to advance the overall experience for the fans and just the nation. Then we have what they call the senior class. A senior is labeled as 
a player or coach that has been retired for over 25 years since being on an active team. Now, kind of a side note that I found in the Hall of Fame media guide that they sent out to me was they said that it used to be called, quote, old timers, but in 1990, Bob St. Clair semi-seriously said he didn't take too kindly to being called an old timer, so the Hall of Fame changed it to a more, what I call, palatable senior. I'm like, senior, old timer, kind of the same thing. Like they said, he was semi-serious. I'm not going to go into the, the full details, but out of this you have a specific group of selectors that will be for the senior and contributors. It's not all 48 of them. They'll get three total. So then after this is all said and done, we have 18 total possible candidates for the upcoming Hall of Fame class. At this point, biographies are going to be sent of all 18 nominees to the selection committee. And this is prior to what they call Selection Saturday. And Selection Saturday happens in February, the day before the Super Bowl. So, like I said, it is determined that current year's class. So this year's class of 2018 occurred the day before the Philadelphia Eagles ended up upsetting the New England Patriots. One of the tidbits that I saw was that they don't have a set number of enshrinees that have to be inducted to the Hall of Fame. For instance, I've seen a few classes where there were six, some seven, most of them eight, just kind of all over the place. But the committee's current ground rules stipulate that there must be between four and eight new members each year. And you're probably like, hey, come on, man, let's get on with this thing. How do they get voted in? I really need to know. I gots to know. So Selection Saturday, the process. First, they discuss the senior and contributors. And there's not like a vote kind of thing as far as, you know, the whole survivor deal. It's more of a, if they get 80% yay votes, then they in. If they do not get 80%, I'm sorry, bro. You got to wait till next year. But the modern era, because they start with 15, they got to kind of do the survivor thing. They got to dwindle it down. So the first thing they're going to do is they're going to take, for the modern era players, they're going to vote to take the field from 15 down to 10. Then after they get the 10 players, they're going to do another vote. Of course, this vote is to take it from 10 to 5. So of the five that are left, they're going to do this whole 80% yay or nay thing. So if you break this whole math thing down, it kind of comes out to, I'm pretty sure the way it figured was all five of the modern era players must have gotten a yay vote. In no particular order, we have Terrell Owens, Rennie Moss, Brian Dawkins, Brian Erlacher, and not to be biased here, but we have my favorite non-Detroit Lions player of all time, a Mr. Ray Lewis plus three of the senior and contributors. So we're going to have eight inductees this year, and it is going to be awesome. But one of the coolest things that I saw was they have the final group. They're all in this hotel, and they're sitting there waiting forever for the door to be knocked on by the president and CEO, David Baker. And a lot of them go to this room. They talked about Jerry Kramer going to the room for so many years, waiting for his door to be knocked on. And then he had this video where he's like, we're sitting there, and He's an older gentleman. He talks about how the door was knocking and this, you know, near the last minute where he figured it has to be him. It has to be him. They opened the door and it was the maid. You know, you want some towels or something like that? But if you go on YouTube, which one of the videos I'm going to provide to you again in the show notes, there's a super emotional when David Baker, our CEO of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, comes up to the door of the players that are going to be inducted. He knocks on the door, basically says, congratulations to the Hall of Fame. It is super cool. I recommend you going to check that out. 
And this is a perfect transition into the leaders of the hall throughout its history. But before I get into leadership lineage, I wanted to remind you to head to the footballhistorydude.com slash episode 15 for the show notes. And to make sure you mash that little subscribe button on your podcast player of choice so you get the hottest, freshest off the press episodes each and every week. I'd also appreciate an honest review of the show. Now getting to the leadership lineage throughout the Hall of Fame's history. The Hall's first director was Dick McCann, longtime general for the Washington Redskins, and he was named director on April 4th, 1962, until he passed away in November of 1967. Then in April of 1968, Dick Gallagher took over, longtime pro football coach, scout, and general manager. But as I'm reading this, I didn't realize, I guess your name's got to be Dick to be part of the directors. So at any rate, retired December 31st of 1975. So then thereafter, in February of 1979, Pete Elliott, who was an assistant coach of the St. Louis Cardinals, was named a third director. And then he retired in October 31st, 1996. But this time they had a more immediate backup plan. You see, John Bankert was a longtime VP of the Hall, so he was named the fourth director on November 1st, 1996, the day after. Then he was named the president in 2003, and he would retire also on December 31st, but this time in 2005. Then we get back to our whole let's wait a few months thing, and April 24th of 2006, Steve Perry would be named the fifth director. He had a long career of management in large private and public sectors, and he would not retire until 2014. Which brings us full circle up to our current CEO and president, Mr. David Baker, who was named the sixth director on January 6, 2014. One of the things that gave him kind of, you know, like the pedigree, I guess you could say, was he was a commissioner of the Arena Football League for 12 years, from 1996 to 2008. And this dude was a six foot nine power forward that has taken the hall to the next level with the renovations and development. And I'm excited to see what he has in store for us in the future. But before we do that, let's go ahead and hop back on our DeLorean because we got to go back to September 7th, 1963. You know, that first day when the hall was open to the public. Because I forgot to tell you, the first complex was two buildings and it was 19,000 square feet of interior space. Then in May of 1971, they had a $620,000 project to basically double the size. Then a second expansion came in November of 1978, which took it to four buildings, and it cost roughly $1.2 million. Then, considerably larger expansion, the third one was $9.2 million of a project. It was completed on October 1995. This took the entire complex to approximately 83,000 square feet. Then there were major exhibit gallery renovations in 2003, 2008, and 2009. Then in 2013, there was an expansion that they called Future 50. And it took the museum to 118,000 square feet. And it was a $27 million project. But it seems like they never stopped growing. Because they have another project, an $899 million project, that has already been underway. Called the Johnson Controls Hall of Fame Village. And on the Hall of Fame site, They say that this is the first ever sports and entertainment smart city. Some of the additional venues include the Hall of Fame Museum, of course, the Black College Football Hall of Fame, the Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium, which hosts the Hall of Fame game moving forward, the National Youth Football and Sports Complex, Hall of Fame Hotel, Hall of Fame Promade, 
the Center for Excellence, Performance Center, Player Care Center, and Johnson Controls Hall of Fame Experience. Now, this is something that has taken the Hall of Fame Enshrinement Weekend from just a magnificent event to something that has just blown to the point where it is huge. It's just, I don't even know what else to describe it other than like we talked about Olympus Mons in the previous episode. So if you're not going, then watch it on TV. But if you're in the area, I highly recommend you go check it out. I mean, three of the biggest things are the parade, the enshrinement, and the Hall of Fame game that kicks off the NFL season each and every year. Like I said, if you can somehow get there for the enshrinement, take the family out there, you know, I don't know, call the boss and tell you're sick or something like that. I'm not condoning that or anything. I was just possibly presenting, um, there was a, I was reading a sign on the wall or something like that, but just get out to the enshrinement. That's what I'm saying. And if you can't though, no worries because you can watch it on TV, but still you got to go to the hall of fame at some point in time in your life. If you are what I consider an NFL fan, I mean, straightforward, man, straight up. If you do go outside of the enshrinement, the website says that the hours of operation for the hall are every day except for Christmas. And then between Memorial Day and Labor Day, it's open from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. And then other parts of the year, it's from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. To sum it up, the Pro Football Hall of Fame is a must-visit for any football fan. And I hope to express the mission of the hall through this podcast. The mission of the hall is to honor the heroes of the game preserve its history, promote its values, and celebrate excellence everywhere. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and were able to gain some knowledge nuggets about the history of the Professional Football Hall of Fame. If you would like to give feedback to the show, please head over to thefootballhistorydude.com slash contact or hit me up on Twitter. My handle is at FHDude. And I'm sorry to say, but I won't be releasing an episode next week. I know, I know. Boo, boo, boo this man. But that's because I have a special gift for you. Starting this Saturday, as in three days from now, I'm going to release a daily episode covering a brief overview of each of the 2018 enshrinees all the way up to August 4th, the day of enshrinement. But for now, dudes, I'm through if you're through. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Football History Dude. Make sure you're the first to get the next episode. Please subscribe on your podcast player of choice and head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes, where we're going, we don't need roads. <laughs>